0: What I would like to do this Sunday and then over the next couple of Wednesday meditations is a reflection on the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, the Hebrew word, or the Pneuma of God, the Greek word, the Spirit of God, and the way we as Christians pray. Firstly, the American Indian proverb goes like this you can't see your reflection in running water. We need a certain amount of stillness to be able to catch a glimpse, not only of our own reflection, but of what lies below the water and behind everything else. And when it comes to our understanding of who we are or who God is in relation to us, the understanding of what the Spirit of God is, is imperative. Just a slight side reflection at this point. In Matthew 13, there is the wonderful series of parables on the kingdom of God. And the beginning of it all is that Jesus is besieged in some way by this huge crowd of people. And he gets into a boat and uh, stands off from the shore slightly. And they're all standing along the shoreline listening to him. And he begins to tell a story. And the story is about the seeds and the sower who sows these seeds in the various different grounds. And, and then he finishes and he says, if you have ears to hear, then listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, as the old translation goes. But basically, you need to listen to this carefully. It's as if Jesus is sitting there and saying to them, what do you guys think of this? And so in a way, what I want to do today is to throw something out and say, what do you think of this? What does it mean to you? Or as the message says, are you listening? Are you really listening to this? Not that it's just more information, but that you actually begin to hear something that God is saying to you. So it's not just telling stories because Jesus told a story and then the crowd went away. And then he later describes to his disciples what some of the meaning of the story is or the parable as we know it, but there's this section between verse nine and a whole uh, large portion of the next bit where Jesus is explaining to his disciples the imperative of having an attentive ear, of listening to what is more than just being said. and that's what I'm inviting to us for us to do at this particular point around the issue of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God. and Even when it comes to John writing in the book of Revelation, where in chapter 2 and 3 he deals with the letters that go to the various churches, each one of them ends off roughly the same way, where it says, let all of you guys here in this church listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. If you've got ears, then be attentive to what the Spirit is saying. So, That's the the beginning place. That's where we start. And so here's the first particularly important thing. That in both Hebrew and in Greek, so Ruach in Hebrew means spirit, and Pneuma in Greek is the same. It means spirit. For both languages, there is a multiple meaning for that. It means breath. It means wind. It means spirit. And sometimes the context will tell you exactly uh, what is meant. But essentially, there is the, the interplay, the interchangeability of levels of meaning that can be construed when these words are used in Hebrew and in Greek. So we need to keep that in the back of our mind as we read some of the passages today. Ruach in the Old Testament Hebrew means breath, wind, or spirit. And pneuma in the New Testament also means breath or wind or spirit. Now, John chapter 4, that's where I want to just start briefly. We'll come back to it hopefully. But it says this in the message. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. That's the message, John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Now, this whole concept of when we worship, And worship and prayer are two uh, facets of the same coin, if you like. But our worship is out of our very spirit, out of our breath, out of our life, out of our being, out of our, um, uh, I was going to say wouldn't, but that's perhaps not the best thing to say. But God is sheer being itself, spirit. And we respond in in the same way out of our spirit, out of all that we are. Who we are. Now, let's take a step back and start at the beginning of the journey. In Genesis 1, right at the first verse, one verse 1 and 2, it says this. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. In the old language, it was formless and void. And God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. Over this chaotic world, the Spirit of God hovered, brooded, encapsulated, if you like, in the wind, the breath of God. And out of that, as God speaks, comes an order, a creativity, a life. And then we move on to, um, where are we going? Genesis chapter 2. Well, that's obvious. It comes after chapter one. But Genesis chapter two, it says, after all the creation, and God looks at it and he says, it, it's good, it's very good. Then he says, the Lord formed man of dust from the ground. And this is the point I want to make here. There is still a sense in which all of this is mechanical. There are, at this point, it's just dust and. Um, uh, there is no sense of life in it. Then the Lord of God then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. There is at this point a sense in which God pours Himself; He breathes Himself, the very essence of who God is. Um, Poured into us, breathed into this clay, um, and we became a living being or a living soul, as some of the translations put it. So there is this um, breath of God, the spirit of God, that is given to us, and that's the reason that we have life. Later on, um, in one of the Job, which is really one of the ancient texts of the of the Old Testament. In chapter twenty-seven, verse three, there's the discussion about um, the breath of God in our nostrils, and so what Elihu, who says this to Job, is saying is that we understand that our breathing, the fact that we are alive, the fact that we are even able to exist or be, is because God has breathed His breath, His spirit, His life. His being into us. And His breath is in our nostrils. Whether we understand it or know it, there is an essence of God in us, even in our breathing. And then as we look further, and we haven't got time to go into all the detail of this, but let me just pick one particular passage which is iconic that we, I think, perhaps maybe all know. It's Ezekiel 37. So we've had the creation of the world and all that is in it, um, all the created order. We've had the creation of man as who he is and the role of God breathing his spirit into us. Now, when it comes to the creation of of Israel um, and then her moving away from her destiny that God had given her to be a light to the nations and so on, then he speaks to Ezekiel, and he shows him this valley full of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. There is this deadness, this sense that life has gone. And even the forms and signs of life, the the um, the only thing that is left are these dried out bones. And God says to him, can those bones live? Is there a possibility that there is life there? And he says, well, only you know, Lord. And then we know the story about how God, he speaks to the bones, and the bones come together, and they all uh, come to the right place. And then there's, he speaks to them. And the Lord says to him in verse um, five, um, in verse four, do you think that these bones can live? And he says, Lord, only you know that. And he says to them, we'll prophesy to these bones the we're the Lord. And he says, Behold, I will cause breath, spirit, ruach, wind, to enter that they may come to life. And I will put sinew, etc., and so on goes. And then there is this whole thing and he, and he, and he prophesies and this br- the breath of God comes in and they stand up as a mighty army. There's this rising up to life, symbolic in many ways, but uh, of how God created a people how God has breathed into his people what it means to have life and to stand up on his behalf with his life in them and to be the people that he calls them to be. And then we have uh, the passage that I read. So we come all the way through um, the Old Testament and into the New Testament where Jesus is with his disciples and he speaks to them. And, and this is the passage I read from John 4, verse 23-23. And 24, where it talks about him saying to them, you need to understand, you need to grasp the fact that God himself is spirit. The essence of who God is, is wind, breath, life, spirit. But then what happens is there's a passage right at the end of his time with his disciples. In John chapter 20, um, we, we we have an incident which is quite remarkable and um, it's good to go and read the whole context of it. I haven't got time in this small thing to, to read the whole thing. But in John chapter 20, it, there, there, there comes this verse where he takes a deep breath. He took a deep, I'll read it to you. John 20 verse 22. It's right before he disappears. Um, it's at the end of John's gospel. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. This is Jesus talking to the 12, to the disciples. He breathes into them, onto them. And there is this clear understanding that they have of the Ruach, the wind, the life, the breath, the Spirit of God, or the Pneuma in the Greek, the wind, the breath, the life, the Spirit of God being breathed into them. Now, They will be making the connections between Genesis 1 in creation, Genesis 2, the formation of man and how God breathed into them. They would have Ezekiel 37 clearly in their minds. Resonating in their ears will be what we read in John 4 about God being spirit. The very essence of his being is spirit, wind, breath, life. And then he breathes on them. And then Jesus is, in Acts chapter 1, taken up from them. And he says, don't worry, go and wait in Jerusalem. And um, in just a short while, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will be completely immersed. The imagery again, going back towards Genesis 1, where God by the Spirit broods over the whole of creation, and it 's in the process of of forming it and bringing it into the thing that it is now and He says to them, "Go and wait you 're going to be completely and utterly immersed in my breath, my wind, my life, my spirit, and then we know." that they go back and they're praying together in in that room together. And the creation of the church is formed in that place where in the chaos of hiding away in 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 an upper room, praying, not knowing quite what to do, that the Spirit of God descends with tongues like fire and the power of God is evident in their lives. And the formation of the church, the creation of the church, is given... Uh, the the breath of God the, the the life of God. Now we can talk about this a lot, but the interesting thing is that um, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and there is that really well-known scripture in chapter five of Ephesians, verse eighteen where, uh, again, it's good to read it in its context, so go and read Ephesians chapter 5. But he, he says, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative. This is not something that is just on the side. We need constantly to be placing ourselves in a place where God breathes on us in a fresh way. And as we've said in the past, that the way the Greek is, is shaped there is a present continuous tense. It's always happening. It's being, in a sense, the, the breathing out and breathing in is symbolic of how God continues to breathe into us his spirit. Be filled, be being filled constantly with the spirit of God. The ruach of God, the breath, the wind, the spirit. The pneuma of God, the breath, the wind, the spirit, the life of God coming into you and when paul was in um athens he was looking around at what was going on and he is taken to the place where they used to debate at the areopagus and he's talking to them and he says you know i see you have all these things and you don't really you don't really know uh, you have a, a um a temple or a shrine to the unknown god an altar and he says i know that god and the god that we are talking about here And then this is what Paul says to to these philosophers that he's talking to. He says, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. When it comes to living, when it comes to worship and prayer, this is the fundamental that he himself, God himself, gives everyone. He gives to you and to me life and breath. Ruach, numa, spirit. And everything else. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits. Out of their every breath is what he is saying. Their true selves in adoration. And in Revelation 4, after those passages to the churches, we get two chapters. Chapter 4 and 5 on the magnificent chapters on worship. And in chapter 4 verse 8, constantly, all the time, with every breath. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. The Ruach, the Numa, the Spirit of God is given to us. It's the reason we have life. And with every breath that we take, we need to be worshipping Him. That is our prayer. So, over the next couple of weeks, I will enlarge on this in the Wednesday meditations.